all I heard this season was different names and explanations, and all they did was give me information. I was so fucking not even lost. I was like bored. And also it was full of my least favorite thing in these fantasy in these high fantasy shows, which is uh British people whispering. This is every fucking episode. (laughs) This is every episode of The Witcher season two. The elves must I'm gonna die. I cannot deny the truth. This is every episode. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these fuckers are. I don't care about this. I should care. But all I heard was like, I wanted a child. There has not been an elven child. If you want to be a witcher, you have to believe in magic. Magic is chaos. And chaos is destiny. You had me at Hell no So it is, so it is. Oi, top of the morning to you. My name's Mel. And this is you and me at Hell No. A podcast where we talk about why we love a genre that hates us so much. We talk about romance films, romantic comedies, erotic thrillers. um, The other ones that we talk about and we go into detail and analyse it. I forgot. There, mate. So, welcome and welcome and welcome. All I want... Welcome. Well, welcome to You Had Me at Hell No, because we're going to suddenly become very posh. No, a handbag. <laughs> a handbag. Philip. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. That tells you what movie we're talking about today. Um, because today we're visiting, we're going old school with our romance, and we're talking about the oh uh, classic film, My Fair Lady, based on the musical of the same name, which is based on the George Bernard Shaw play Pygmalion. And, um... Which is based on the myth of Pygmalion written down in Ovid's Metamorphoses. Yes, it's a, a, a remake of a remake, of, and, if, and if we ever do She's All That, that is a reimagining of My Fair Lady, which is a reimagining of Pygmalion, which is it's just what I do love is that it's just straight up fan fiction, and I don't hate that. Hell yeah, absolutely hell yeah. Um, even though we um watch films, we analyze them, we love them, we watch a lot of them. There's someone uh special uh, that's a part of this podcast who doesn't watch as many films, and we're gonna ask him about this. His name is Tiffer, and he's our sound engineer. Take it away, Tiff. Hello, Ali. Hello, Mel. I understand you're doing My Fair Lady this week. And while I haven't seen the movie, I think I'm actually, through pop culture osmosis, quite familiar with the plot. You've got the Fair Lady, and you've got Henry Higgins, who just asked to wait. And he took a shine to this Fair Lady, played by Audrey Hepburn, who can't speak proper English good. She's a cockney lass. 
So he's got a teacher how to say the rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. And it's quite good in it. It's funny you chose to do this movie right now because I'm actually, as you can probably hear, in London. Hey, what, what? Taxi? No, we don't do that here. We take the underground, the tube. I'm going to take the channel over to France after this. So, well, no, I, I just came from France, but that's, you know, I have tickets back from there. Anyway, have fun with the rest of the episode. Oi, mates. Oh, hello, hello. I can't believe last, last week he was in Paris. This week he's in London. He's a jet setter. To, to truly, when he says osmosis, he really wants to osmose the surroundings, what he can, you know? Truly. Um, he just steps into the world, wide-eyed, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and just photosynthesizes whatever pop culture he can. Like a oh. little plant, isn't he? Like a little leaf. He's like a little flower. A flower. Flowers, flowers for sale. That brings us into the film. So My Fair oh my Lady God. begins in Covent Garden. And it's pouring rain. And I don't know if we need to go step by step, but basically there's a lady named Eliza Doolittle and she sells flowers in the street, in kind of the street market. Um, and she has a, a thick... I mean, I, I will say Audrey Hepburn... Oh, we should be clear. This movie stars Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison. Um, Rex Harrison also was in this role on stage, but uh, with Julie Andrews as Eliza Doolittle, Jack Warner said, no, 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 we don't want Julie Andrews to be in this. That freed her up to do Mary Poppins. She won an Academy Award for Mary Poppins and said, and I, finally, I want to thank the man responsible for this, Jack Warner. Honestly, fucking Waller. get it, Julie. Julie Andrews can do no wrong in my book ever. When she goes, I go. Yeah. Oh, God. I was... Uh, okay. Do you know this about me? I no. was obsessed with musical theater as a child, and particularly Julie Andrews. This fits for you. I don't know how, but it fits. Wait, we got to watch like, Sound of Music. I, I used to be a hardcore theater kid. Um, <laughs> but... Okay, so my... Let's... We'll circle it back to My Fair Lady, because I... for. I know you have a lot of thoughts and feelings on this, and I do too. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the movies that gets lumped into the romance genre, and I would argue it's not really a romance. No, and it also is... It's about a... And I do think there are elements of the movie that do a good job of showing this, but really it's about these two men, but one man in particular, who are so focused on teaching this woman how to speak that they never actually listen to her. Talk about irony, am Thank I right? You. Yes. And she always, and the reality is Eliza has always had a voice and always stands up for herself. But um, she, part of it is really, truly, it, something I do like about this story or movie that we'll get into is that she never really loses, like she goes in, to Henry Higgins's place because he made this big show of being like, listen to how this woman speaks, and he he says he humiliated the worst. her. He's horrible to her. He's and he's he makes awful. he's truly horrible. And he, but he makes an offhand comment of like, if he gave me a few months with this woman, I could have people believing she was a duchess, and she could 
get a job in like a proper flower shop if she wanted. And she hears that and is like, I do want that because she needs to make money. Her father is awful also just just po- like oh, only dead shows beat, up to deadbeat alcoholic father only, only shows, shows up, up to ask when for he money. wants money yeah um and, and so she and, hears and, that and it's like and she goes to him saying like okay yeah i'm willing says, to pay you for i want this. this opportunity yeah. yeah she that's and she says and that's part of what he records her because this is yeah. when they had record like phonographs and stuff mm-hmm. Because it takes place during Edwardian England, I think. Oh God, I bro, wrong bitch. I don't know when was part George, of me. Part was, of also Shaw, okay. A couple things. When was Shaw working and working walking around? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> wrong, wrong person to ask. Yeah, mm-hmm. my knowledge stops with like the fall of the Roman Empire. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then it it's picks okay. back up in like World War One, United States. So, yeah. actually, that's not true. I'm I'm not giving myself enough credit for being a history dork, but that's neither here nor there. Like, I think one thing you pointed out that mm. I want to stress for anyone who hasn't seen My Fair Lady. It's three hours long. Three Maybe hours. don't. Here's the thing. It's, um, well, it, it I agree with you. Here's the thing. This gets lumped into like great romantic musicals of the like 50s and 60s. Um, and it's really not like it's it's is not it romantic well, it's, it's well not made, romantic it's well it's shot well it's beautifully it's, acted it's, and it's very picturesque yeah. and i and it makes me want to see it on the stage though because yeah. the way that they portray it on film it like this is clearly meant for stage not screen i think mm-hmm. and i also there's an intermission <laughs> in between the, yeah. the acts and i think it's just i don't think it's well suited for film personal opinion mm-hmm. um i don't think audrey hepburn did a good accent i yeah. love audrey hepburn i have deep respect for her i don't think her accent for her cockney accent was very good oh, also what i'm basing boy. it off of is michael Caine, who actually <laughs> is cockney and yeah oh it's the pro- <sighs> the thing is it's um it's hard for Audrey Hepburn to not sound like Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Because she has that very, um, I can't even do it, but she has that very specific voice. I do like her performance just, in this. I think She's a great actor. The way she's she holds her own. Incredibly graceful. What she's able to convey with just like her eyes is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Masterclass. It, it, but um, it. I don't, like at no point was I like, wow, what, when she's like, I was like, oh, boy. I like wish it were crazy. You know what it makes me think of? You know what? Monty Python accents. What? Like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like those accents are what I think she should be doing. Oh, like more. I don't know. Are they more tough? They're not that tough. Well, they've got like, I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Come oh. to Camelot with me. Well, that's kind of just how she sounds. That's just how she right, sounds. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but I think, <clears throat> forget about the accents, because yeah. we're just going to go down a rabbit hole, and we don't have time. We haven't talked about the movie. I do right, think- Right, but what, what I- yeah. Hold on. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. What I was saying, and then we got sidetracked, shocker, is that the point you bring up about Eliza's always standing up for herself, and mm. that's who her character is. And I do think compared to other contemporary films, she has a lot more defined of a personality. Yes. But the way that it's framed is that it's through this extremely classist and 
and misogynistic lens yes. of saying, okay, well, sh- not only is she a woman, but she's also poor and yes. lives in extreme poverty. Yes. And that she's only able to better herself mm-hmm. in a way where Henry Higgins can take credit for it, even though mm-hmm. without him, without him, she could have done something on her own and he wouldn't have been successful at his at the bet he makes yeah, with the man her, that he's in love with. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why she gets so frustrated during, you know, the climax of the film. Because, because they're congratulating each other and they don't even look at her. And she's like, no, not at all. And then when he, when they see that she's upset, he's like, what? I haven't done anything to you. I haven't done anything to you at all. Right. And it's like totally missing the point, Henry. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it was frustrating for me to watch this because I was watching these, these, this man try to turn this woman into a docile, speak when spoken to person with no personality. Like the, yeah. like the impression that I got is that in order to be a proper lady, you can't have a personality. Yeah. And I think there are, there are other female characters in this movie that are foils to that. I think Henry's mom is a really good example of that. Yeah. But also... That's why Eliza doesn't fit in anywhere. Like she yeah. fits in when she's a flower girl because she fits in with the guys and everyone in that part of London. Mm-hmm. But then she doesn't fit in with Professor Higgins and his boyf. Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't feel like she fits in in high society. Yeah. And then when she gets all prim and proper, when really like she doesn't even learn she essentially has to become fluent in another language. Yeah, and then so when she goes back to where she came from, they don't recognize her, and she doesn't feel at home there either. And it, it, it's really like a heartbreaking story. Um, it's re- like honestly, uh, this movie was really upsetting. It's very sad, and because uh, also what I think is interesting is that the movie—it's exactly what you're saying of it's through this very misogynistic kind of lens. But I do think the movie kind of okay. There are multiple numbers where Henry Higgins has just a song about how he is annoyed with and frustrated by and doesn't like women. He kind of just hates women. He refers to himself- And he even says, what if a woman were more like a man? Yeah. Because like, you're, cause you're he, a homosexual man. Well, yeah, he also says- Because you're a, in love with a man. He more than once refers to himself as a confirmed bachelor. And you're like, and he, you and guys he is, can't see. We're making eyes at each other, like, hmm, hmm. And also, and he and Colonel Pickering are like, they both have traveled across the world to meet each other. They finally meet one time. They they have one conversation, and it's because hey, they're hey, shitting on Eliza. They're shitting on Eliza, and immediately Henry Higgins is like, "Oh, where are you staying?" and Pickering's like, oh, this hotel. And he's like, no, you're staying at my house. Then they just live together. And then these two mean, mean men just shit on are awful to Eliza. And what's frustrating is there are so many songs where they're like, poor Henry Higgins. There's a whole number where they're like, poor Henry Higgins is working well, all, all through the night. Well, all of his servants are basically acolytes of his. Yeah. And the reality is no one's acknowledging like, Eliza's doing all the work and when she first starts to make progress is right after the only time like the first and really only time we see in the movie when he actually is kind of kind to her or gives her some kind of positive feedback when he says like 
um, you're working hard to achieve something that you really want and it's possible for you. I know he, it's the only time he says, I know you're working very hard. And she kind mm-hmm. of shifts her face. Audrey Hepburn does this beautiful thing where she kind of just stares at him and then she's able to say, you know, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. But I can't do it that well. Man, man I would not make it. Um, well, Henry the Higgins rest, is also an emotional abuser. So yeah, he also doesn't teach her anything. It. He doesn't actually give her he like any instruction. He just leaves no, her. He, he just, like locks her in a room and is like, say this a million times. As someone has her who, talking to a dictaphone. And like that's not how speech therapy should work. Number one, and you can probably you can probably speak to that. Better I was gonna than say I can. not how. Okay, the best I've I okay I went through speech therapy from like I was pretty young. I want to say like maybe even kindergarten through like I think I stopped by the time I got to high school. I think high school because we met with the speech therapist at the high school and she was like, "I think you're good," um, but. The best ones were ones where they really interacted with me and they spoke with me when we tried stuff when they were good at explaining like what was actually trying to happen or mm-hmm. why it was important that I needed to uh, speak clearly. Like the ones where they engaged with me as a person and also let me know why we were doing what we were doing. The worst one was in middle school when all we did was just read newspaper articles out loud and they just made us say S sounds for like a class period. And um, that's, that sounds rough. That also that same speech therapist in middle school also. Okay. I still don't know how, why she thought this was helpful. I don't know that the teachers knew that I was going to hear this feedback, but in eighth grade when I was already really not, in a great place because a i was in eighth grade also didn't really have a lot of friends i was hardly speaking anyway because anytime i did speak up i was kind of i was bullied um and also add puberty on top of all that it plus was a whatever else it was, you it was not a good time life it was a lot um she read this feedback she'd gone to each of my teachers and had them write how they how clear i was how what it was like having me in their class so i had to hear from each of my teachers how like basically just hearing like even the ones where you think like oh i i feel comfortable in this class hearing like even that teacher can't understand you even that teacher thinks you mumbles even this teacher doesn't understand what you're saying um you're too that's really dehumanizing yeah um, I'm sorry that happened to you, Allie. Hey, that fucking sucks. I don't want to call this woman out by name, because like being a middle school speech therapist sounds not fun. That doesn't sound like something I want to do. But also, what is your goal, <laughs> ma'am? Like, I yeah. it, it's over 15 years ago. I'm still like Mel's watching me. Like I'm, I'm like almost crying. <laughs> I'm okay. Well, I'm, I mean, but the like, things that when you're in your formative years, things that teachers say to you that are hurtful stick with you. And they weren't even hurtful. They were just being honest. I'm sure they were being clear with like the speech therapist but, at the school. Like, but I hey, I'm having trouble hearing necess- Right. But I don't think it's necessarily the honesty, quote unquote, that no. matters for this. No. Like as an outsider, having heard you tell this story and seeing how like hurt it makes you and upset yeah. it makes you yeah. like that kind of feedback isn't helpful. No. Like, like if you're 
you're like it would be one thing if like y- your teachers had had something positive to say like here's an when example right yeah, like, when, when i was a teacher happy, i had to give yeah. feedback to like speech therapists and special ed teachers or whatever yeah. it was mm-hmm. and i would always try and say something positive like oh this person doesn't talk a lot in class and when they do they tend to mumble but i wish they would speak up more because they have points that i want the class to hear because they have an interesting point of view that's like i think if your teachers had been directed to give more positive feedback to be like ali does mumble in class but i wish that she would speak up more because i like when she participates i enjoy hearing what she has to say and honestly like even if it's not true you're never gonna know no also, although they shouldn't lie, but like, you yeah. know what I mean? It was, uh, that was not what happened. Anyway, <sighs> now that we've gone into I mean, my thing, I clearly well, have I a mean, personal thing with Eliza Doolittle. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had a different, mine was more that I had like, I have like a slight lisp and, ugh, but, but like, but what I'm trying to say is Henry Higgins doesn't really actually provide any real instruction. He's just like, put these marbles in your mouth, say this shit. And or just say the same thing over and over and over again without giving any real um there's a guy on uh YouTube called Eric Singer. He's a speech pathologist and a linguist and he does these great videos where he talks about like accents in movies and TV but then he also will go into like different dialects and he'll explain how different dialects work work what part of the mouth you're using. It's like it's fascinating and it's like but Henry Higgins doesn't do any of that shit. He's just like, say A, you fucking idiot. All he well, does is and like, that's, that's the big show problem, off. though, right? Yeah, well, he can yeah, tell where you're he... from based on how you talk, but that's it. He's just an ignorant, not ignorant, arrogant. Sorry. Very arrogant. Well, I would think that I actually think he is pretty ignorant because, yeah. and I'm not a linguistics expert, but I'm going to talk about linguistics like I am an expert. I don't know how much of an issue it is today, mm-hmm. but like my thing that I really grabbed onto was the idea of prescriptive grammar or linguistics and descriptive grammar and linguistics. And the the principle behind it is descriptive is more of an objective view saying, okay, this is the vocabulary. This is the syntax. This is the structure. This is how this language or dialect, Creole mm-hmm. pigeon, whatever you want to call it. That's how they work. And prescriptive is the idea that people should speak a certain way and the victorians Mm -hmm. were notorious for this kind of stuff like if you want to know where writing rules and grammar rules come from it's the fucking victorians it's these fuckers these yeah guys like henry higgins these posh fucks Um, yeah yeah, but like but about this thing is like what made me so upset Mm -hmm. is that whenever henry higgins is talking about how eliza speaks english he makes no effort to understand what she's trying to say. Yeah. He only uses his expertise to belittle her. Yeah. And he calls her a creature yeah. and dehumanizes her through that. Yep. And he doesn't make an effort to show her how to actually change the way that she speaks by doing like actual accent training or language learning. So she essentially has to just learn because dialects are, they're not whole languages unto themselves necessarily, but they are distinct. Yes. So if you're going from a very particular way of speaking mm-hmm. and you are learning not only your own language, yeah. but in a completely different dialect, that's really hard. Yeah. So you're having to, you're basically fluent in another language, which is incredibly difficult to do. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, she's having to learn all of this etiquette and rules of decorum and how to comport herself. Yeah, this movie is which all is about why, class. Yeah. Right. It's very classist. And very. Like, Ugh. that's why I, that's why the ending made me so mad when she goes back to him. But yes. we'll get, we'll get to that. Yeah. And that's why um, when they go to the races in mm-hmm. Ascot. Yes. Um, okay. She's, I wanted to talk about this. This is an important scene because yes. like, and that's prescriptive and descriptive linguistics. Mm-hmm. And my personal opinion is that Prescriptive linguistics is stupid because mm-hmm. there isn't one way that a language should be because mm-hmm. language naturally evolves and changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can still have a standard for writing. That's fine if you want to have things standardized so it's easier to grade or for academic purposes or professional purposes, fine, whatever. But like it particularly, this is something that happens with First-generation American students, immigrant students, mm-hmm. uh, people whose parents didn't necessarily go to college, economically disadvantaged people, people of color, native students. Like, this happens a lot with them where teachers will correct the way that they speak mm-hmm. when it's the only way that they know how to speak. And it's also and without trying that- to, like, actually understand and it's devaluing the way that this – it's a classist, elitist – frankly, racist way of thinking. I agree. Frankly, well, it's this, white supremacy It's this Eurocentric idea. Thank you. Yeah, it's this Eurocentric yeah. idea that, like, what Europeans do is somehow more the civilized height. or better. Yeah. yeah, the height, the I, pinnacle, like, the standard, whatever. Something that Henry Higgins says in the first scene is he's, and this made me, like, scream, because he's, like, she's reading the English language, like, her language like our language is uh, the language of Shakespeare and the Bible. Like the Bible wasn't written in English. You fucking dingbat. Yeah. Anyway, but it's it's that. But it's that thought process and every like yeah. it's that mm-hmm. um, entitlement and uh, it's it's awful. Um, yeah, and yeah. so that's and that brings us to they're going through all this training. They're exhausted. Eliza's starting to lose it. He has this moment where he finally acknowledges her humanity for one second. Only once and then in she's, the movie. She's finally able to speak with the diction, mm-hmm. but not the vocabulary. So yes. they go to the races at Ascot. And what's supposed to be funny, which I honestly didn't find funny. I, I didn't it find it upsetting. funny at all. She's speaking with proper, the proper diction of a lady. Yeah. And, but the words that she's saying... And the meaning of what she's saying is her normal Cockney vocabulary. Yeah. So, like, she's saying that someone killed her aunt. She says that she was done in. Yeah. And that phrase becomes the focus of the conversation. And all of the, you know, upper upper crust people are like, done in? Whatever does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, it's- and then Henry Higgins has to step in and be like, it means they killed her. Yeah. It's, and they're it's, like, oh, my word. Yeah. Like, and but this ugh. one guy, this one horny toady guy named Freddie really likes her. And he likes Did you say horny like toady? I said hoity toity. Oh my God. God. Oh my God. I thought you said horny toady. And I was like, is that what we're calling Freddie? No. <laughs> okay. Um, This musical has a lot of songs that I didn't realize were from this musical. Like it has On the Street Where You Live. Um, get me to the church on time uh, with a little bit of luck. I didn't know any. I I think I just had forgotten that that was 
my fair really? lady. I knew oh. I could have danced all night because I could have danced all night happens when she finally gets uh, the rain in Spain falls mainly on, mainly on the plane. They're dancing. She's dancing with Henry Higgins and she has this song about how she could have danced all night because she was so happy to be with him. And I'm like, where? This movie really, really wants us it's, to yeah, believe it's, that she and Henry love each other. But here's the thing. Everything points to the contrary. They have no real scenes of actually being kind or liking one another. Also, Henry Higgins, it's taken us this long to truly get to it. Henry Higgins is a homosexual. At 150%. He is constantly talking about how he is, frankly, appalled by, disgusted by, hates women. Um, which I know there are, and you're like, Ali, straight men, straight men are like that, too. Ugh. He refers no. to himself as a confirmed bachelor. Um, mm. He is annoyed, like... This movie is about him and his best friend, his other, his, frankly, boyfriend... Yeah. Like, it's about two gay men with, like, a doll, basically. Eliza is their doll that they're, like, making yeah. up. Um, well, it's, it's, and they only do it not for any benefit to her, but so that they can say, look what we've accomplished. And they're so good that we can turn a common piece of shit from the street yeah. into a duchess and you'd never know and the only way it could be done is because of us yeah he also like, and colonel pickering doesn't even really do anything no colonel pickering is actually the only one that's like a little bit nice to eliza besides freddie she says that when yeah. she's telling henry off towards she, in the she's end she's like i didn't learn manners that. from you i learned it from and something that she says that i love she's like the real difference between like the common flower girl that I was and the duchess that everyone thinks I am is not anything to do with like how I speak or how I'm acting. It's how I'm treated. And I yeah. loved it. Like, frankly, something I liked about this movie, or I guess I, the one element that I do kind of like about the story, which is why the movie, frust the overall, the ending frustrates me so much yeah. is what I was saying earlier about Eliza is, so strong she's such a fully formed character she stands up for herself she um she's not ashamed of who she is she even says like i'm gonna marry freddie because he loves me he is vocal about loving me i don't mind working i like working i i want this life with this other person and she even has a whole song like if you that says like don't tell me i'm tired of words which is like a metaphor sort of not a metaphor it's her saying, like, I'm tired of words, both literally in terms of, like, she's been dealing with this fucking linguist for the past six months. But also, she's tired of this hollow nature of how uh, you're supposed to speak. She's like, if you love me, show me. She's, yeah. I, I said, said something I love is she's like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm tired of being told that I'm this or that. If you feel a way about me, if you think I deserve to be treated a certain way, treat me that way. And... I love that. And Freddie has such a small part, but he does show up and that's part of the appeal because he's literally, he's like, I love, I'm in love with Liza Doolittle. Yeah. I'm going to show up on her street, which is like a little creepy and it's, we can get into I, that. All the men in this time, are kind of assholes because like Freddie also doesn't know anything about her. He, he talked to her one time at a party and is obsessed with her. Which is objectively creepy, but compared to Henry, yeah. Freddie shows up and he gives Eliza support when she needs it. Yeah. He's there when she leaves Henry's house and she just yeah. leaves in the middle of the night after they yeah. have this huge blow, after the big grand ball where she's wearing the iconic white oh. dress with the jewels. God, and 
she like Freddie is the one who supports her there. Yeah. Like yeah. she and also is telling him like that's where she also sings show me. Yeah. She reprises it with Henry later. But I think it's very telling because she's like talking to her dad and her dad's a piece of shit. And I don't think we have time to focus on her dad. Her dad role. has the most time on screen in terms of musical numbers. And I'm like, we did not need this. I don't like this. I mean, his um, big his big thing is that like he ends up being working for an American millionaire who dies and leaves him all his money. But he's he, like this dude is a, is a deadbeat lecherous piece of shit who enjoys being a deadbeat lecherous piece of shit. Yeah. And then his big thing is like, oh, well, now I'm trapped by my middle class situation because of all these societal expectations that are put on me now. I can't be the grosso that I want to be. So yeah. fuck you, Eliza, because you set me up with Henry Higgins and he got me involved with this millionaire. So it's all your fault, which is like, um, mm, no. no. Um, but Eliza didn't even tell him to go there. It was a whole thing. No, he um, followed her. She didn't even want him there. And he blames her for all of it. And Henry blames Eliza for all of the shortcomings, which are literally just because he's such a jerk. And it's so yeah. frustrating. And I know that Freddie oh, is it, like a creepo voyeur weirdo. But when Eliza goes back to that part of London and tries to reconnect with all these people that she grew up with who don't even recognize yeah. her, he's there. He's there. And he's like, do yeah. you want to go he's now? He's willing to stay with her. With the implication do you need a card? What do you he need? He stays with her the whole time. Well, the whole time. Which is and in the original more than any play, of the other men have done Pig for her. Truly. And in Pygmalion... She doesn't go back to Henry Higgins. She, she straight because up is he like, doesn't deserve her. Bye. She's like, fucking bye. I, if I need to make money, I'll teach them shit I learned from you. I'm going where I'm needed. You're gonna you, you, and he kind of ends the play very sadly, um, kind of just sort of laughing, like truly not accepting the same way he ends it, kind of in the musical, which we'll get to, which is like. But what if she thinks she's even saying like that? She's crazy. I made her everything she is. Um, and in the in Pig mainly, and that was the original ending. Um, West End audiences were like, "Why don't they end up together?" I'm like, "Why doesn't Eliza do a little the young woman who has been treated like garbage because of her station? Why didn't she end up with the gay man who was very abusive to her?" <laughs> like, what? Yeah, like it's it's also I don't want to complete. I I the. I, I'm mentioning the gay part as a like that's another element of why they wouldn't be together. I'm not conflating the gay with the abusive element. There's those right. Separate they're things. Sep they're those separate. They're separate. Absolutely. Things. I want to make like, that clear. Regardless of whether Henry Higgins is gay or not, Henry Higgins he's gay. sucks ass. He's awful. He's a bad person. He's also like a bad. He would. He technically could be a straight dude because he definitely is like a nice guy because he has a whole part in his song where he talks about what a nice guy he is. He literally says like I'm I'm a gentle man. And you're like, to who? Except he's not, because he's all cool. he does is yell and scream. Which I know is like and... supposed to be part of the joke, but it is like, ugh. Um, yeah, well, also, then, like, yeah. another another. Anyway, she piece comes of back evidence. to him and, and at the end of the movie, and we're pissed. Anyway, what's another piece of evidence, babe? Um, to him being into men, 
was I think I texted you about this when I was yes. watching it mm-hmm. because she's she's like I'm gonna marry Freddie and he goes is he gonna kiss you with those thick lips and I was like okay what? why are Freddie's thick lips the first thing that we're talking about but also the first thing he says when he meets a former student of his he goes why haven't you gotten your haircut that's you true he said he's like you would look better with a haircut okay what something I love though is that um, Eliza. Before she eventually goes back to him, and this is frustrating, because the one thing the musical did change is that Henry and Eliza end up together at the end. And it is so (sighs) dumb, and I hate it very much. They don't even kiss, though, which I liked, because I don't think I wanted to see them kiss. Yeah, because also it doesn't make sense that they end up together. Well, her like, Eliza Doolittle's supposed to be 21-ish. Yeah. When, Aud- when they filmed this in 1964, Audrey Hepburn was in her mid-30s. Rex Harrison must have been in his 50s or 60s. Yeah. Oh, he was in his 50s, I think. He, um, did you know? Okay, this is a fun little bit of Hollywood. Um, I think I may have told you this. Rex Harrison. That he's Jared Harris's stepdad? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You told me that. And he, yeah. And that he, like, Lane Price is, his performance as Lane Price is loosely based on Rex Harrison. Because it was like that level of it was like that specific type of kind of british accent and that specific level of like well oh well that's funny but oh unrelated one thing i do want to acknowledge and that's also a fun piece of film trivia is that in case you didn't notice the music and all of the singing was dubbed yeah so um well yeah he's the only one yeah that refused to pre-record his songs, but also yeah. he's more speak singing than singing. Yeah, he's um, not singing. But that the singer who dubbed all of the songs for Eliza <laughs> is Marnie Nixon, mm-hmm. and you may recognize her uh, from also voicing Natalie Wood in West Side Story or yeah. Deborah Kerr in The King and I. Yeah, and um, she like honestly beautiful voice, lovely. Um. I don't think Audrey Hepburn is a bad singer, though. And I think it probably could have worked for this thing, but it's fine. Um, Honestly, also, like was I dubbed back then. It, this is not I question. Yeah, I question the casting of Audrey Hepburn. Solely because I hated her Cockney accent, but I think because Audrey Hepburn is so like, she's one of those people when, like, if you wanted me to give you an example of what graceful means, it's yeah. Audrey Hepburn. Yes. And absolutely. that's why. And she was a ballerina. Um, She's got this, like, just her, she's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, a kind person devoted mm-hmm. her life to helping others after yeah. her acting career ended. Truly. Like, nobody talks about that enough about oh, her. Oh, she was, like, exceptionally charitable. Yeah. yeah, and she, I think, was a UN ambassador as well before Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Not that Angelina Jolie can't do it, but I'm just saying, like, she's not the first one to have done it. And um, she, one thing, uh, did you notice? What? <laughs> Eliza Doolittle screamed so much in this movie. Yeah, and it, a lot. And it wasn't, like, it wasn't even screaming. It was just like, ow! And yeah. every time... <laughs> Every time she made that noise, a piece of my soul died. Wow, you hated it. I didn't, I was just like, okay. I was just like, this is, it's just, it's so evident that it was 
I think I agree with you that this kind of is meant for the stage. I think this is well, a it's, fine... it's also another way to dehumanize I, Eliza. Yeah. That she's such a beastly creature that she can't even use words to express yeah. herself. Yeah, and it's kind of awful because it's sort of ignoring... I will say, and I think part of this is maybe because of my own opinion about Eliza and also of Audrey Hepburn's performance, but I think maybe this is a little bit also the way it's shot where i i do feel for her i feel like this movie is trying to put a little bit more care for eliza than this show actually has or this story actually has mm-hmm. um like during the whole song where pickering and higgins are congratulating themselves you say themselves you see eliza the whole time and i know that's the point to see how she's feeling i understand that but i was i guess kind of relieved and glad that it was still focusing on her on how yeah and i know i'm sure that's like how it's written in, but it, it but i th- i think i'm trying to say that i think george kukor did a decent job with this i think the show itself is just very frustrating and i do because i do think george, like george kukor for those i don't know like um film directing legend also like gay icon it was like an open secret that he was gay but he was like kind of he would hold these parties and it was like everyone who was gay or had some kind of lavender marriage in hollywood at the time would Go over. He directed the Judy Garland Star is Born. He directed Gaslight. He, um, I think he directed other musicals. I'm trying to remember. But like, this is a competent man who is good at, uh, has shown to be good at um, telling stories in which a woman is being discredited by a man in her life. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in that aspect, this movie is good at showing that. But in terms of like, and there i'm like this isn't what that is <laughs> like they're, no, well, I, I, yeah. that's clearly it's clearly a studio decision because yeah. there's no setup to it no um also two things i want to add mm-hmm. number one didn't know that the director was openly secretly gay which mm-hmm. i kind of love that why do you think and all the hats also, look so good that is a fair point um but but did you notice in the beginning eliza is selling violets and i think that violets were one of the flowers in like the secret flower language of the queer community during victorian times where it was illegal to be gay so they would communicate to each other with flowers and i think violets were one of them i did not know that Melanie, was this movie romantic? <laughs> no. Also, no. No. Nor was it sexy. No. It, none of it. Absolutely none of it. This and is like, not a fuck, Mary kill. Um, no, I have... Just kill all of them except Eliza. And maybe I, Henry's oh, mom. Henry's mom. because Oh, sorry. That is something I do want to point out. Something I love is that she goes to Henry's mom, tells him... She straight up tattles on him to his mom, and his mom is like, yes. what is wrong with you? She's like, are you kidding it's, me? Are you kidding me that he did that to you? I love that. It's yeah. the equivalent of of screenshotting a dude's dick pics yes. and sending them to his mom. Love and it. I loved it. I loved it. Straight up, his mom is like, you have been horrible to this girl? I hope she never... He's like, mother, she needs to come back. And she's like, no, I hope she never sees you again. The way you've treated her is despicable. And I think she even... Does she give Eliza money or something? I, she, she basically... She so much just says, like, Eliza, if she you ever need help. She doesn't give Eliza money, but she basically says, like, Eliza can stay here as long as she wants, and she's basically as much in charge of my house as I am. Yes. Which is um, nice. And 
And and one of the things, okay, I didn't get to bring this up earlier, and I'll make it quick, but the misogyny and the feminism in this film, and I know you brought it up earlier that there's, I wouldn't call it quite a balance, but there is a comparison, shall we say. Mm. There's There are certainly elements that we're faced with in this film. And I thought it was interesting because the original story of Pygmalion that's in Ovid's Metamorphoses... Oh! Yes, talk is about rooted, it. It's rooted in misogyny. Yeah. And it carries through to even the fanfic of it 2,000 years later. And, and like, the, the basic premise in, in the metamorphoses, or as some of my more posh professors would say, the metamorphoses, barf, um, is that Pygmalion... Yeah. Pygmalion's an artist. Mm-hmm. And he is living in Cyprus, and he sees women engaging in prostitution and then just decides that he hates all women which is like cool dude um then there's a festival for aphrodite coming up because aphrodite has roots in cyprus and he sculpts this beautiful sculpture of a woman out of ivory and he's like wow she's so beautiful i wish that she was like a real lady and aphrodite grants his wish and so this is a story of a sculptor falling in love with his sculpture that he has brought to life. Yeah. And that is very much the concept behind these kind these makeover style movies. And also because instead this is of a, being oh. like a mannequin type situation, right? Even though mannequin it's is clearly like a, Pygmalion. But yeah. Yeah, but it's like it 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 takes on this transformation makeover vibe. And it's also this thing of um I heard someone refer to this as born sexy yesterday. It's a beautiful woman who is fully formed as an adult woman, but she has no real knowledge of the world. She has no, and the only real connection she has and her only real teacher is this man who is, who has kind of rejected other women. And is also frankly, if he's rejecting other women, it's because they've kind of quote rejected him. They can see that he is like either mediocre or not nice. Yeah. He's not a good guy, but also, this man is like the world is they're just they're, they're kind of like a baby to him like think about um lilu in um multipass what's that movie fifth element lilu fifth element um splash madison and splash um yeah. uh oh god but this happens in like so many there are movies too many examples where here's recall. it's just yeah. this pig mainly in story has sort of happened a million times where it's like uh-oh a beautiful woman who thinks I'm the best, and but then she becomes her own person, and I'm mad at her. That happens. It's a common story, and I think My Fair Lady is almost a great version of that because it's almost the original story. She leaves Henry Higgins the play, but the musical is like, what if they ended up together? For what? There's no reason for them to. They there's nothing that shows they actually love each other. There's no. Uh, there's nothing to suggest that. If and anything, at the end of the play, he's still cruel to her. There's no yeah. reason for her to go back to him. Exactly. Like the fact that she went back will forever haunt me. But mm-hmm. like this movie, it's. I think it's a classic. I think it's considered one of the best films ever made. Mm-hmm. It's like on the AFI like list or whatever okay which is like it's a well-made film can't argue that the content mm, 
But, you know, it's not romantic. It's not sexy. I don't think either of us feel comfortable doing a fuck, Mary kill. No. Aside from just killing everyone except Honestly, for Eliza and Henry's mom. Truly. You know what I really thought while watching this? Is what? I miss when we were watching, like, 90-minute parties. I miss... You know what I miss? I yeah, miss this like movie a, was three hours. I miss a How to Lose a Guy. I miss a Jennifer Lopez telling it to the man. I miss... Can we bring back... I'm sorry to say... I'm not sorry to say this. I need some Matthew McConaughey in my life again. So, we want to say about this movie is fuck Henry Higgins. <laughs> fuck Henry Higgins. And not in the fun way. No. This has been You Had Me at Hell No. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this episode, which, how could you not? <laughs> Let us know. Give us a give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, that tell would be amazing. Friends, a big thing. Tell your friends. Post about us on social media. We're at, at HellNoCast on Instagram and Twitter. HellNoCast.com. Uh, is our website where we post uh, new episodes every weekend, uh, as well as on you know Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, I, I, um, I really like doing this podcast, and we hope that you like listening to it. And if you tell people about it, it would really mean a lot to us. But also, in general, we just appreciate you for listening. Um, well, I have been Allie. And I continue to be Mel. And oh, against wait. my will. You know what? Oh, why won't is a podcast? Oh, we won't is a podcast. Yeah, with one enormous podcaster. You had me at Hell No was recorded remotely in front of our pets Roscoe and Benny. Allie and I want to thank Tiffer Hill for editing our podcast, putting up with all our shenanigans, and making us sound amazing. We would also like to thank Bella Vanek and Lucille Petty for writing our theme song. Thanks, Bella and Lucille. <laughs>